Simon Brown, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Matt Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu Jamal. America's chickens! Coming home to roost. Passes a three-strike law and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming, Transforming truth, truth to power. One broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And good evening and thank you so very much for being with us here at Our Common Ground where we are bold, brave, and black. Speaking truth to power and to ourselves. Our number is 347-838-9852. 347-838-9852. And if you're listening on a smart device and would like to join our chatters in our chat room, we're located here in the live Our Common Ground studios at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. And to all of our new listeners uh, and new fans, thank you very much for joining us. Don't forget to find us on Facebook at OCG Talk. And um, subscribe. Um, and um, you can follow us on Twitter at, at Janice OCG. Tonight here at Our Common Ground in the first hour, we're going to be talking about the matter of white madness. To what extent 
does the argument that the police misconduct, the police overreaching, the police violence in our community, the police murdering and killings in our community, and police terrorism in our community can be accounted for by the argument that these are a few bad apples. Um, We know that this behavior is systemic in nature and that there has to be some kind of strategy in which to break the systemic nature of this behavior. Our children are dying. Our children are having their citizenship, their mental and emotional citizenship, fractured by the behavior that does not seem that we can get under control. I I, I think that we all have to look at the evidence and say on police accountability, the bad apple is the rule, not the exception. On a daily basis, we are reading stories. I go into my Facebook page and I go into the news uh, sites that, that I utilize to keep myself informed and not a day passes that we don't see a story about police brutality and abuse of authority. And in the last two years, as we have watched the increase of killings by police under law, we have to be amazed that we are tolerating this kind of behavior in our communities and under support of our tax dollars. These stories are beginning to hit the news, the mainstream news, for the first time ever. And we're going to be talking about and looking at um, what has occurred and whether or not this argument that these are bad apples And I am proposing tonight that the bad apple is the rule, not the exception. Another critical area uh, which I find uh, uh, just something that we need to look at is the idea that while we defend, some defend this as a just a few bad apples, that the good apples are not speaking out. I, I I don't think over the last two or three years that I have seen a case, maybe one or two cases, of the good so-called quote-unquote good police stepping up, standing out, speaking about this issue. And when we hear stories of police misconduct, brutality, and murder under law, or even look at the videos of college students singing songs about lynching people, black people, 
or even our elected officials in our Congress standing on the floor of the House or the Senate speaking the most vile kind of racist language and expressions uh, and, and purporting legislation designed to oppress and discriminate, too many of us are quick to defend the system as a whole and say that these are just examples of a few bad apples. I say that we need to be calling a halt to that framing of the narrative. These problems are definitely systematic, cultural, and we have people who are defending them when in the same light they would not defend the behavior and the actions of thugs and gangsters on the street. And there's very little difference, well, maybe there's a big difference, and the big difference is that police operate under law, the cover of law. But um, the, the whole bad apple argument does not pass the test of logic. Um, and bad apples pollute all the apples in the crate. Uh, or sometimes there is a bacteria that's already in the crate that's polluting all the apples. But this racist behavior, living in a specialized white male culture, living off of white privilege and supremacy is impossible. I ask you this question, and the question is, for all of the men, white men, who are running corporations, sitting in our U.S. Congress, sitting in governor's seats, sitting in state legislatures, have we thought that they are the issue of the same kind of fraternity and culture for which the SEA members who sang that song on that bus and one of them I do want to talk about, whose family has hired a PR firm to try to clear his name. Give me a break. We can talk all about that here at Our Common Ground tonight. Our number is 347-838-9852. So the critical question is, if white police, frat boys, operate under a system of white manness. I want to hear from you. How does that look? How does that play out in the lives of black children and in the lives of... I I am absolutely not surprised, not stunned, and understand about this whole notion of white manness and how it is steeped in a culture of privilege, supremacy. Thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground. On the second hour, we're going to be going back in a nostalgic journey. Um, In 1990, 
I had the opportunity to spend a weekend and a full week with one of the greatest of um, African-American artists, activists, Oscar Brown, Jr. And we're going to take a look at some excerpts of some of the interviews. I spent a whole week with this man. I was constantly turning on the uh, tape recorder. And he also co-hosted with me for two days on the air. And um, we did a Saturday special with Oscar Brown, Jr., and I'm going to share that with you. And it is really in response to this notion that I've been talking about for weeks now that over the 32 years that I have been broadcasting, it seems as though we have been talking about the same things in the last five years that I talked about in the first five years of my career going over and over and over with these issues. So our number is 347-838-9852, and if you have some thoughts about that, I would welcome your call. Uh, I want to offer some things to think about in this conversation, the matter of white madness, the bad uh, uh, the bad apple argument, and um, we will see exactly what's on how you have extrapolated all of these experiences. So, what's your business with me right now? I want to find out who you are and, and what the problem was. Back there is no problem. That's the thing. So talk to me. Let me and let you, you know. You why do I have to let you know who I am? To let who I am isn't because the problem. Because that's what police do when they get told. Well, I don't have to let you. People. Well, I know my rights. First off. Secondly, okay. secondly, okay. I don't have to let you know who I am if I haven't broken any laws. I first off. That's a public area, and if there's no sign that doesn't say this is a private area, you can't sit here, no one can tell me I can't sit there. If that's the case, then I can't sit here. There is no, the problem is I'm black. That's the problem. No, it really is, because I didn't do anything wrong. What's going on, brother? I gotta go get my kids. No. Please don't touch me. Please hey, don't touch me. You're gonna go to jail then. No, wait, no, wait, wait. You're gonna go to jail. I'm not doing anything yeah. wrong. Hold on. Can you Hold on. please? I'm not no, here. no, come on, brother. Hold on. I'm not here to I'm argue. I'm Can not you your please? brother. This is assault. Can you Hold please? On. I'm not I'm here, not here to argue with you. Wrong, sir. Put your hands behind your back. I don't. No, can you please Put not do this? Put your hands behind your back. I didn't do anything wrong. Put your hands behind your back. Come on, really? I gotta go get my kids. Put your hands behind your back, otherwise it's gonna get ugly. What do you need from me? I told you. Can you, I can you have him let you me go? And I identify you. you? I didn't tell what happened. I haven't done I anything wrong. I told you I told what you. I wanted initially. And that, so I we could talk. settle all this. I haven't done anything wrong. Please, no, don't do this. Please, go ahead. I'm going to
Rodney King. His case put U.S. police brutality on the radar for an entire nation. Can we all get along? In 1991, he was beaten by four white LAPD officers after a high-speed chase. If it hadn't been taped, King probably would have been just another black man brutalized by the cops. But it was. Still, that didn't stop a jury from acquitting the officers of all criminal charges, leading to the L.A. riots, some of the worst in U.S. history. These people are angry. They have every right to be. The LAPD did, however, make some changes, adding more diversity to the then 59% white force, and the city got a new police chief. Smart. King sued Los Angeles and won, and in 1993, two of the four officers were convicted of violating King's civil rights in a federal case. They were sentenced to 30 months, which they served. 41. That's the number of bullets police fired at Amadou Diallo in front of his apartment building. He was 22 and unarmed. The plainclothes officers, who all happened to be white, thought he had a gun. It was actually his wallet. A year later, they were all found not guilty of criminal charges, and not one of the officers had to resign. So what happened? The jurors did not want to believe that what they did was criminal. They viewed it as a mistake. There was a bit more justice, though, in New York City policing. The street crime unit that the officers were a part of, whose creepy slogan was, We Own the Night, was disbanded. The city started recruiting more black and Latino officers, and for the first time, the police had to release data on its stops and arrests specifically when it came to race. Fast forward seven years. 23-year-old Sean Bell was celebrating his last night as a bachelor in Queens, New York. Five plainclothes cops in unmarked cars fired 50 shots into Bell's car, killing him and wounding two friends. They thought the group had a gun. They thought wrong. Three of them were charged and found not guilty of criminal charges. But in the years that followed, one was fired and the others were forced to resign from the force. Still, only one was denied a pension. So was justice actually served? New Year's Day 2009. Oscar Grant was shot in the back by an Oakland Transit police officer, even though he was already in handcuffs and lying face down on the ground. The officer said he confused his gun for a taser. The incident was filmed by onlookers with camera phones and spread quickly online. Grant died the next day and Oakland erupted in protests and riots. The officer, Johannes Meserly, was convicted of involuntary manslaughter and got the minimum sentence of two years in prison. But he was released 11 months later on parole. John Burris, attorney for Grant's family, explained why cases like his are hard to win. The vast majority of people who serve on the juries are basically pro-police. And it's very difficult for them to rule against a police officer for conduct that happened in the course of their work. Grant, along with Bell, Diallo, and King are all symbols of the ongoing fight against police brutality for every generation. The common thread? Excessive force and little accountability. Will we ever come up with a way to cancel Cops Gone Wild? And when will communities be able to end their cry, no justice, no peace? No justice! Subscribe on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, and like us on Facebook. Another Way Ferguson is a true reflection of American life. Arrests and incarceration. There are four times more black arrests than white arrests in Missouri, which pretty much matches national incarceration numbers. Black men across the country were six times as likely as whites to be in federal, state, and local jails in 2010. U.S. law enforcement has a long history of targeting African Americans, which is why many say they don't feel they're getting equal protection under the law. That, plus everything else you just heard, is why people in Ferguson and across the country are fed up. And for anyone who thinks that the police crackdown there is new or foreign, let this historical reminder from Evan Hill sink in. 
What you're seeing is actually pretty American. And there you have it. Our number is 347-838-9852. The whole issue of accountability cannot be measured until we decide whether or not the argument of a few bad apples makes sense. When people hear stories like this, we're it's it's almost natural and and very quick to defend the system as a whole and say that these are just examples of a few bad apples. Just this week in Houston, it was reported that sheriff's deputies were at fault in over 500 accidents and received little or no punishment. Uh, We all know that authority is made to be abused, and as long as police are given the special legal and economic treatment that they currently enjoy, as long as the culture of abuse of authority is supported by the management system in police departments, we will continue to hear these stories. The authority that police officers derive through special protections are going to be abused. There's no reason why the vital function of community defense should be monopolized by the state, which is, as we know, has no sense of justice and is traditionally corrupt. Question to you tonight is police brutality not just a few bad apples? It is, is it a form of racist repression and the role of the state? We see these YouTube videos about and know about uh, the few incidents of police brutality that become national news, especially since the slaughter of Michael Brown and as his body lay in the street, or Eric Gardner, or Oscar Grant. Some of us, right here on this program tonight, have probably suffered or witnessed incidents of police brutality. And unfortunately, we are taught to treat these incidents as a separate and unique incident. We are also um, told to sympathize with the police officer's responsibility whose brutality is attributed to their high-stress jobs and the threat of violence that they supposedly face every day. And they do. Just here in Boston last night, a man who was stopped in a traffic incident as the police officer approached the car, he was shot in the face, and he is fighting for his life tonight. And the perpetrator was killed instantly at the incident. But this whole argument about high-stress jobs These people, we spend millions and millions of dollars in this country 
training police officers about how to handle almost any kind of incident that they might find in in doing their jobs. So, you know, we have this image from cop shows on TV of the overworked, idealistic cop who must make split-second decisions that the rest of us would never dream of. Well, they have specialized they have specialized and intense training in handling those split-second decisions. Even when the incidents of brutality are so clear that the officers are condemned for their actions, and this only happens rarely, usually when there is a video to show what really happened, the police officer is portrayed as bad apples. And it's worth thinking a bit more about the incident in Oakland, California of Oscar Grant, whose police executioner was given two years in prison, the minimum sentence, after time already served in good behavior credits, Johannes Merschlil will, will only served an additional six to seven months and is now out of prison. That was a slap on the wrist in the face of people who seek justice and in the face of the Grant family. And here we have, in that instance, we have a video of a cop standing over and executing an unarmed youth face down on the floor. And I want to take you back to what we witnessed with our lying eyes as Eric Gardner pleaded that he couldn't breathe. You're listening to Our Common Ground This is um, a discussion about the matter of white madness in fraternities departments. We're going to go to our phones. 954, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Aloha there, Sister CEO. First of all, thank you for remembering Dr. Ben. Thank you. Dr. Ben was very dear to me. I interviewed him numerous of times early in my career. And I had mentioned to Alpha on his show about his trips to Egypt, but staying on topic here. um, First of all, we have our black police officers now that are in the uh, force of the uh, police departments all across America. The two that come to mind are the ones in New York because now they're being targeted, you know, and uh, the the brother's name is up there. He was with my brother just retired from the 33rd, 34th precinct up in Harlem. Uh, uh, Palacio Adiello and uh, Uh the other one in New York. So now they're starting to come out, okay? And then, um, no, I'm talking about the cop that's blowing the whistle on the NYPD. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. Uh, Dominican brother, yeah. And the other one, I forget his name. And there's a couple of that starting to surface now. And why? Because they are being targeted by the very same entity, the job that they work, the employer that they work for. When we were um, fighting Mayor Lindsay back then to get blacks 
in the police department because these races came from Westchester, Long Island. They didn't even live in the city, you know, Jersey. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. this is why you had a Black Panther party. Even the Guardian Angels, when they came out, their intent was good. And we need to dispel this stupid myth that the cops keep wanting to make everyone believe if the cops went on strike, that crime would increase. Yeah, because they would create the crime. We've been policing mm-hmm. ourselves without them. History has proven that. We can take care of our own. We don't need them in there to do anything for us with that kind of willful contempt and hatefulness. So they need to stop that lie right there. Well, so let me now, let me stop you right here, Aranda, so we can have a conversation about this. Okay. I think the point that you're making is so critical. Uh, the two two points that, that, that you've made in your comments are so critical. One is that these are people who are alien and strangers in our community most of the time. Two, that they come into our community, they address us, approach us, present to us, a certain kind of disdain, the the hateful kind of racism in which they have been cultured is what they apply to the work that they do. That is very important for us to keep in our heads. Now, I know there are people out there who are saying to you and me, Aranda, oh, it's just a few. I purport that there is it is much more than just a few that this is systemic because this is i mean if you look at the behavior of these frat boys this is what they grow up with this is what they are cultured this is what they are taught that people who they see as inferior to them must obey them must somehow regard them as being superior. And that has to do with the authority. That has to do with um, the way in which they are trained. There's one thing that we haven't brought into this conversation, and that is that 57% of all of the new hires in the last three years in police departments across the country were not trained to be police officers. They were trained to be military people, to be on the war stage. So they're approaching these jobs with a military, with military training and a military war combat mentality. I just wanted to make those points. First of all, that has always been the reality of training with the police departments anywhere across the United States because you got to remember, these 80%, 75% of them are military. Most of them have first contact. This special mm-hmm. training was the same training that was implemented against ejecting Eleanor Bumpers up there in the Bronx. And whatever happened to those special, those were basically almost SWAT teams that went and got her and murdered her. 
right? Mm-hmm. So this this is the reality of when you use these youth, these people of all color in this country as cannon fodder. Now, where the hell are you going to hide them? So you put them in the police department, those who have any sense and stability in themselves, or somewhere where they can hide them all and implement the same guerrilla-type war tactics. The only thing that's kept me alive, honest, Janice, is because I know how to talk their goddamn talk, you know, because I serve. So I know how to deal with these cops, you know, and I'd never let them flank me. You talking to me, you don't have your other guy try to get behind me because I know what time it is, you know? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I will fight. And I and if I will, I, I will kill one of them. I will because if I perceive that my life is in danger, it's me or you, and I will take my Okay, stand. so that's, I mean, that's a natural response, self-defense. But let me get to this, too. Also, in addition, when we look, Bob Law is trying not to change. The last time I was with Bob Lord, we were at Howard Beach. Now, I'm not real, real close to Bob Lord, Gary Burden, but some brothers know who I am. And when Michael Stewart got murdered in the subway, you know, so I, we, we've been in, in Father Lawrence Lucas, and, and I know you must know these people, you know. I know Bob Law. Bob Law is my daughter's godfather. Okay. And Bob Law and Gary Bird. You know, and Father Lawrence Lucas, and of course at the time, Alton Maddox and these brothers, when we all were marching in Howard Beach that time. And I will strap, you know. And if we have to start dealing with not only with our people who are in the police department, hoping that that would bring about some kind of a community change and rapport, man, that's the most disappointing part of that whole deal during Lindsay's time when we petition to get black police officers in the NYPD that lived in our community police our community. But now the police officers see that they are being targeted again. And that one that shot that one in the projects up there, the Asian cop, oh, now they're going to start indicting people of color first to make the point. I mean, if Serpico got murdered by the NYPD, and Hollywood knows this as well as um, the police report the FBI reports on all these disparities and these so-called bad apples, you know, that are being out here. So that's, that's see, no excuse for this. When we, when we in the in in the in the late 70s, when we began to lose real control in our communities, it was the late 70s. The Deacons for Defense, the Black Panther Party and many other self-defense kinds of strategies in our community was wiped out. One of the things Mm. is that, Aranda, we've got to get smart about it. And we've got to stop thinking, uh, we've got to start thinking about what we do at the local level. For instance, in most major urban areas, police officers are required to live in the community for... Um, in the city, uh, empl- in the um, within the city limits of the employer. So here in Boston, for instance, if you're a Boston police to, uh, officer, you must be a resident of Boston. But mm-hmm. here's the break, and because we don't have um, a community 
uh, policing board of the police, many of these people rent cheap apartments. Many of these police officers, white police officers, rent cheap apartments and live in New Hampshire and Rhode Island. And, I mean, their families where they have their real residence. Mm -hmm. The police department unions support that when they are caught in a violation of that regulation, then the union comes to their aid. So we've got to figure out how to take control again of the local police departments as well, long you know as – No, 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 go ahead. Finish this. As 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 long as a community makes a hot seat of the commissioner's office and that commissioner understands that every misstep they're going to be held accountable because the community is going to be lighting up elected officials about their be, uh, about their conduct and their mismanagement you had some control. Well, you now we don't is, have any. No, we don't. And this is the delusion of writing letters and all of this. The black, the guardians, the black police uh, 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 group in New York, I try to solicit and get help to help me deal with a situation at Port Authority one time. They're a joke. I'm not carrying no torch for Obama or Eric Holder. You know, what's going to have to happen now is now we got the alarm, we've got the message, truth has been spoken mm-hmm. more than once. For people like me, at times are hard of hearing. I definitely get it, but I also realize that it's going to be time for some action because this nonviolent, peaceful, moving, sitting stuff ain't cutting it no more. They know it. They see what time it is, how they've gotten out under this black president and this Eric Holder. They have come outright and murdered us out and out. And if George mm-hmm. can still be walking around the streets in that other idiot cop uh, from uh, uh, Ferguson, you know, it's, 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 it's beyond time. There has to be a movement that's going to take action the way the Panthers did it. You will let these fools send us and our children to these wars, six, eight, nine tours, and... You, you know, Vietnam, they just had the 47th anniversary of the Mulai Massacre. It took them 15 years for them to finally pull up out of Vietnam. So you know what's happening since Desert Storm, Desert Shield, and all this other crap that's gone to this present moment, and they still got these cats over there fighting and talking about the, the withdrawal. So, man, later for Obama, he gave corporate white America everything they want. They're still dissing the brothers, you know? But I ain't holding no thoughts and counting on him to do anything. You know, it's well, the people that's going to have to stand up what the Panthers did, what even John Brown tried to do back then. You know, and we, we, we tend to forget whites who have helped and fought with us. You know, they're all not the enemy. And um, whether you expose this for uh, bad apples or the Illuminati or however you want to go about this and, and, and wake up to the reality. The point is now, what are you going to do about it, man? 
My well, thing is, you know, there, was, there was an article. Hold on, Dennis, please. Let me please get this out. They just had an article here in Hawaii about this cat in Florida. When the cops stopped him, he don't open his window. He's got a note saying, I'm not asking no questions. I'm not getting out of my car. Here's my license and registration. That's kind of deep. And you know what I do when they pull me over? I shut off my engine. I open up my car door on my driver's side. I get my keys and shit in my hand. And they can see it in plain view. The guy's going to tell me, sir, would you mind getting back? Close the door because there's no officer. I don't know why I'm being stopped. I do not trust you. Here's my information. So there'll be no mistake on your behalf or my behalf. And I hope the camera's rolling so we can roll back that beautiful beam footage. When, if it comes necessary, I'm not closing my door. Here is my stuff. What, why am I being stopped? And he keeps well, here's, here's the problem nothing. with that. Here's the problem with that, Aranda. And um, I'm I'm going to have to move on to okay. some other solutions that are going on across the country. But the problem with that uh, is that <clears throat> when we talk about this bad apples. Uh, argument Hmm. you're not talking about you we're not talking about people who are rational are reasonable because an irrational unreasonable racist cop who feels that you should relinquish all of your that you in the first place you are an n-word and you don't have any rights and he is superior to you, and you're supposed to do what he tells you to do. I don't know if, uh, I'm sure you don't, because I've known you a long time, but in a recent episode of the TV series Scandal, Mm. there was a police officer who killed a young black boy. He planted a knife on him. Yep. When he was caught... One of the things he said was he was supposed to do what I told him to do because I'm a police officer. I put my life on the line for all these ugly, nasty black people, and they don't appreciate it, and he got what he deserved. Yep. I got to go. Oh, Rondé, I love it for when you, I know, when I know you where top you are, off my, sister, my but show. I respect Okay, sister, thank you. Mahalo. And I'm Mahalo. looking to go on to Cuba now. <laughs> <laughs> I am, too. I'm, I'm going pronto. in August. I'm, I'm going to be there the whole month of August. No, I'm my going daughter to stay, is, I, My yeah. daughter said she was going <laughs> to buy me a house in Hawaii. Okay. I mean, in uh, Cuba. Not in Hawaii. No, Cuba. No, no not no, in Hawaii. Cuba. Cuba. <laughs> my father is uh, Afro-Cuban, Was uh, is Afro-Cuban. Hmm. And he grew up in in uh, right outside of Havana uh, wow. until he was seven years old and came to this country. So um, I will be. I haven't been to Cuba since I was probably around seven, six or seven. So it will so be interesting. You you were here when Castro came in '59, uh, and when he stayed at the Teresa. Right, so I must have been I must have okay. been about eight the last time I was in 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 Cuba. Cuba, okay. 
Yeah, we used to right. go, you know, just like just like we go from Boston to New York for the weekend. We used to yep. go to Havana from um, Miami to Havana. Just get on the boat and go. Yeah, well, Cuba was what Miami is now, you know, back in the That's day. That's right. You know? And the history's right. there, but let me let you go and let these other folks get in. Okay, thank you, Aronde. Okay. Do you want me to put you on mute? Okay, I'm going to put you on mute anyway because I know you usually listen on your smart device. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Tonight uh, we are talking about white madness. Um, I don't know how many of you were surprised by the behavior of the frat boys at the University of Oklahoma SAE chapter. I was not surprised at all. You know, where do you think the corporatists, the conservatives, the uh, GOP, members of the GOP, um, where do you think they come from? They come from, guess where? The frats. I want to ask you a question about whether or not you heard about the story of um, Nebraska State Senator... Ernie Chambers, who compared the police to ISIS and suggested that he'd shoot first and ask questions later if he owned a weapon. Um, And he's standing firm and refusing to apologize for saying he'd shoot a cop if he had a weapon as he compared law enforcement agents to terrorists. Um, and, And this is a quote from him. He said, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. Uh, he was Ernie Chambers, uh, the state senator from Nebraska, uh, was called out by some of his colleagues, demanding that he retract his words, demanding that he resign. And his response was, and I quote, I'm not going to resign. I'm not going to apologize. Why do you think I would apologize? And now what we face this week is a PR campaign by one of the students expelled from the University of Oklahoma for his um, singing expedition, I guess that's what you would call it, uh, singing about lynching uh, black people and keeping them out of the his his beloved frat and there are people who are now our people who people you think I'm talking about our people who are saying that he should be forgiven and there are people who believe that those boys should those frat boys should not have been um expelled Want to know your thoughts at 347-838-9852 if you're just joining us. This is Our Common Ground. Now, in regard to my my discussion uh, just a few minutes ago, and we thank Oronde for his call, um, in some places, shootings involving officers are investigated by the police department. But Wisconsin is doing something different, and I want to tell you about that. Um, it has a one-year-old law that mandates 
that an outside agency investigate cases of police shootings. And this law was um, championed by Michael Bell after his son was shot by a police officer in Kenosha, Wisconsin, in 2004. And, um, you know, you're walking around living your life and something like that happens. You have a child or a neighbor or a friend who is just either so heavily the victim of police overreach, police aggression, police terrorism, that you have to begin to think about this is about everybody. And so civil rights advocates are pushing for other states to enact similar uh, um, policies to that of Wisconsin's. When the law was just one week old in 2014, Dontre Hamilton was shot by a police officer in Milwaukee. It is the first case to test how effective that new law is. And it really could provide a community with some sense of safety about uh, dealing with its own police department. Another thing that has happened across this country in, in response to the Michael Brown murder, um, the um, Los Angeles Police Department has a special operations division which tackles serious crimes, and they are planting evidence, drugs, thefts, and even murder, as in the case of former LAPD Detective Stephanie Lazarus. And one of the missions of this special operation is that the LAPD says, the Los Angeles Police Department says it wants to weed out the bad police officers, the ones that they believe tarnish the the badge. Um, and one of the things that has occurred to me, especially in, in the face of all of this new reporting that goes on about police terrorism and police um, killings, is that two things. What happens to the police officer who really wants to turn in the truth, who wants to speak the truth about what happens when when people are victimized by police, by the the uh, planting of drugs, the planting of evidence, the, the dis- destruction of evidence. Um, what happens to those officers who do want to do the right thing? And the other is, um, in some of these cases, there are African-American and black police who also participate in cover-up, who participate as perpetrators of police terrorism. Our number is 347-838-9852 if you'd like to join us 
in this discussion. In our second hour, right at the top of the hour, we're going to go and take a look at um, my interview in 1990 with Oscar Brown Jr. This is Our Common Ground. What is riskier than living poor in America? Seriously, what in the world is riskier than being a poor person in America? I live in a neighborhood where people are shot on my street corner. I live in a neighborhood where people have to figure out how to get their kid into school because maybe it'll be a good school and maybe it won't. I am sick of the idea that being wealthy is risky. No, there is a huge safety net that whatever you fail will catch you and catch you and catch you. Being poor is what is risky. We have to create a safety net for poor people, and when we won't because they happen to look different from us, it, it, it is the pervasive ugliness. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I'm all about that, about that. Obama says we're not gonna have boots on the ground, but now you got over a thousand soldiers. You know why there's gonna be more? Because they're gonna start killing some of those that we've already pulled there now. Because if you can't get thirty thousand Shiites to stand their ground and they're fully armed against a thousand Sunnis and they drop their weapons, drop their uniforms, drop their draws and run, what have you got? Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass. The Alpha Show. The Alpha Show. Fridays, 10 p.m. Just damn. Advanced political pushback. Talk radio on TruthWorks Network. Three Fridays. He's all about politics. 10 p.m. TruthWorks This is TruthWorks Network, the Black Voice Collaborative, where the truth is spoken more than once. Thank you so much for your support and joining us tonight. Hello, I am Chauncey DeVega. You may recognize my voice from Ring of Fire Radio with Mike Papantonio, the BBC, Sirius XM, or the Tom Hartman Radio Show. And you may have read some of my essays at places like Salon and Alternet. The Chauncey DeVega Show at TruthWorks Network, Mondays, 8 p.m. There's a recent survey, it's actually, I think, experimental psychology, public opinion research, where they asked white respondents about the criminal justice system. And they showed them data before and after, clearly indicating that the system is biased, deeply biased against African Americans and African American men in particular. And even when made aware of the information, these white respondents, this is across divides of party and ideology, were even more likely to support punitive measures by the criminal justice system, even knowing that they were unfair. The Chauncey DeVega Show at TruthWorks Network, Mondays, 8 p.m. We hold it as an inviolable principle that racism must be opposed by all the men that humanity has at its disposal. 
It will forever remain an accusation and a challenge to all men and women appointed that it took as long as it has before all of us stood up to say enough is enough. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, back to Janice. Thank you for being with us here tonight on Our Common Ground, where we are speaking truth to power and ourselves at 347-838-9852. Are you all awake? Are you just having so much fun with those liquid beverages sitting in your living rooms near the fire? Do you know it snowed in Boston today? It started snowing yesterday. It snowed all day today, and it finally turned to sleet. Um, I'm not putting on any boots anymore this year. Hello? I am sorry. Um, You all don't care about climate change? I do, because climate change is causing me to wear boots for too many weeks and months. We still have huge mounds of snow banks. And It had the nerve to snow again today. Well, that's my situation. Uh, We're sorry that Dr. Tommy Curry couldn't join us uh, tonight at Our Common Ground. He is traveling and found it difficult to find a place uh, comfortable enough for him to join us, but he's going to be joining us next week, um, and we're going to continue to talk about some of the solutions around police brutality because we can't continue to think that our children are not being harmed by what's going on here. If you think about it, the only thing that was really exceptional about Oscar Grant's case was not that it happened or how it happened, but that so many people were there to witness it and take video of it And only one police officer found his way to prison. And there were a total of nine police officers on that BART platform that night doing their business. But, and and, and here's the harm, and it marginalizes are thinking about what we can do about police terrorism. 
Um, if there had been no video, we would not have known Oscar Grant's name. And in Oakland, protesters carried signs that said, quote, killer cops get less time for killing young black men than Michael Vick gets for dog fighting. Think about the implication of that. I'll say it again. Killer cops get less time for killing young black men than Michael Vick gets for dog fighting. And then we read the article about three months ago where an 18-year-old who killed a dog got 25 years. Of course, he was African-American. I see that we have um, one of our special fans out in the audience with us and in our chat room, Saxy Man. Thank you so much for being here. It's really good to hear from you. I'm for those of you who are listening, um, I, sometimes I have to catch up with myself. But you just heard a piece that I wrote uh, 25 years ago on synthesizer called the OCG African Theme. Want me to play it again for you? I'll play it again for you. Okay, I'll play it again for you. Where is it? Can somebody ask the engineer to... The, the engineer man to come back in here. Um, my goodness. Um, you know, the show is on forever, and there you go. I wrote this 25 years ago. Collaborated. I love this. Okay, uh, just wanted, I, I just wanted to show out for Saxy Man. He knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Stephen C., it's so good to see you in our chat room. Uh, collaborated with George Davis. Uh, you may know him. He was the uh, composer of the famous song made famous by the Louisiana artist, I can't think of his name right now, Tell It Like It Is. George Davis and I collaborated on that. He's on synthesizer, and I am on the electric piano. I had just gotten the first electric piano, and it was a really nice thing to do. Our number is 347-838-9852, and we want to tell you that Dr. Tommy Curry will be with us next Saturday. And also in our first hour, Julie Dash author and film director. You might know her through her book and her film, Daughters of the Dust. She's coming to talk with us about um, travel notes of a Geechee girl uh, next Saturday night here at Our Common Ground. And we do want to also send a shout-out to Barbara Arnwine, an Our Common Ground voice and good friend, Today is her birthday. Happy birthday, Babs. Um, She is going to be leaving uh, her position as the executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law in June. She has just launched a brand new radio show. She likes this stuff. 
and we wish her well, and we wish her a big birthday. Also, our Common Ground voice, Dr. Raymond Wimbush, will be hitting his 66th year on Thursday, and happy birthday, Ray. I would just want to say to my bromance, happy birthday, Ray. It's it's amazing how you meet people in the course of your professional work or in your social circle and you become friends and you just can't imagine your lives without them. Those are uh, two people. I have a lot of people. When the times get tough, sometimes the tough gets going and sometimes the tough have to call a friend. Uh, And a good friend, I sent out a a uh, big shout out to to a, a couple of my friends, you know, uh, and with this little thing that said, "Real friends," you know about real friends. They're always available to help you hide the body and never talk again about it. <laughs> That's a good friend. Our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. And in the second hour, we're going to spend some time um, looking back at our common ground. Uh, my interview with Oscar Brown Jr. You know him. I know you know him. Yes, you do. What she doing there? And oh, daddy, oh hey, daddy, can I go over there? Hey, Daddy, what's a square? And where do we get air? And Daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? My quizzical kid, man, he doesn't want anything here. He's forever demanding to know who, what, and why, and where. Inquisitive child, and sometimes the questions get wild. Like, Daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? Don't want to comb my hair and wear my teddy bear. And oh, daddy, oh, hey, look at the cowboy coming there. Hey, can I have a pair of boots like that to wear? And daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? The time will march the year. And that was Oscar Brown Jr. with That Dare Over Dare. Oscar Brown Jr. was born in October 10th, 1926. And we uh, honored him as he became an ancestor in May 29th, 2005, gone too, too long. He was an American singer songwriter, playwright, poet, civil rights activist, and actor. He ran for unsuccessfully for office in both the Illinois State Legislature and the U.S. Congress. He wrote at least 1,000 songs and only published 125, 12 albums, and more than a dozen musical uh, plays. Um He was born and raised on the south side of Chicago and was named after his father, Oscar Brown Sr., a successful attorney and real estate broker. Uh, If you don't know Oscar Brown Jr., you should know. My favorite of his 12 albums, Sin and Soul and Then Some. Um, And 
The second, I guess, is Mr. Oscar Brown Jr. goes to Washington where he sings about his um, political aspirations and ideology. Also, we would recommend for you Afro Blue. Um, It's lyrics to Mongo Santa Maria's music. Um, And, of course, my favorite when I was a kid, I was introduced to Oscar Brown Jr. when I was very young because my father was a an associate of Oscar Brown Sr. So I was very, very honored uh, to be able to spend a whole week with Oscar Brown Jr. Uh, we did a special at the ra- – uh, I was doing terrestrial radio at that time. We did a special on a Saturday. Um, he came in and co-hosted with me on Monday and Tuesday, stayed in the studio with me, uh, for most of the week, we went. I was trying to teach him the whole art of surfing, but that didn't work out too good. So uh, we wanted to um, bring to you a little about who this magical African-American icon was all about, Oscar Brown, Jr., Uh, about her book and let them objectively come to a determination. Don't you all set yourselves up as judge and jury for the black community. You're not qualified to do that. Okay, Steve. Thanks for your comments. Bakari Kadwana, thank you for joining us. We're going to continue this on another day uh, with our sister Mari Evans and Paula Giddens next week and talking about this. Uh, Bakari, thank you so much and our well wishes to all of you at Third World Press. Thank you very much. I'm Janice Graham, and I thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. I was going to use the culture and use the issues and use the history of my people openly mm-hmm. to uh, be a part of my presentation as an as an artist. And so I reached back and got the street cries like, Hey, oh, hey, we'll get your watermelon, hey, watermelon, man. Made a song out of that. <laughs> Took the rag man's cry, and that's perhaps the best song I ever wrote. But you know, the Watermelon Man, and uh, I have been endeared by your works uh, since I was about nine years old, I guess, and um, when, when, when you think about it, you were telling us the value of some people that in many ways we discounted in our own communities That's and right. towns. Right. The Rag Man and the Watermelon Man were people that perhaps we had a little shame for, but they carried the messages yeah. around the community. Um, Sam's Life, uh, Brown Baby, uh, these were also a part of that whole effort, Afro Blue, mm-hmm. uh, consciously to elevate and bring forward the beauty 
and the richness of our culture and of us. Uh-huh. We're talking with Oscar Brown Jr. here in the WPOM studios. If you'd like to talk with him, and if you remember uh, and still live, as I do, with his rap, you can call us at 842-9766. He's got a whole nother rap that's uh, going on, and uh, we'll take your calls, and we're going to go to our phones. You're on the... Well, that, mm-hmm. that happened. But l- let me ask you about my favorite of yours, and uh, let's look at some transmission, uh, translation here. Uh, the signifying monkey. Now, one of the things that um, I, I, I go through periods with that song. When I was nine years old, my mother was a signifying monkey. <laughs> she would be um, fussing and talking, and, mm-hmm. and 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 in my head, your song, Signifying Monkey to the Lion, one day there's a great big elephant down the way going around talking, I'm sorry to say, about your mama in a scandalous oh, way. She, she <laughs> just slipped herself in the dust. <laughs> And then, as a member of the Black Panther Party, uh, and sitting in those long meetings all night long, and the brothers would be getting up and talking about what we're going to do and what we should do. And I'm sitting there saying, and nobody's doing anything and listening to, said to signify. <laughs> and, 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 and then sometimes I sit here at our common ground, and I hear the brothers and the sisters talking about the problem. And each time I say, so what are you going to do? The signifying monkey comes up. Well, now, I met that character when he was full of dirty words and he was living in the alley. (laughs) (laughs) And it never occurred to me that he could be cleaned up enough to even get on the air. Uh, you know, nowadays, I guess two live crew would be able to get him on in his original <laughs> form. But <laughs> as it was, I was unable to, in the back to the 60s and 50s, and I think even in those terms. But I saw in this book of Negro folklore by Langston Hughes and Anna Bontown, the signifying monkey cleaned up. Mm-hmm. So I said, hey, you know, I know this song, so I can, I mean, this uh, this verse, so I can put a tune to it, make it a song, put it, and uh, sure enough, that's what I did. And I looked in a book the other day, a literary book, and there was, was a signifying monkey. monkey. I guess whose name as author was under it. Oh, Oscar Brown Jr. Uh, <laughs> you talking about stealing. <laughs> but it, that is the way we have passed it on. Well, Some of our many, many valuable stories. Well, Rudy Ray Moore also had a version of that that uh, made the rounds uh-huh. with some considerable success prior to mine. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. His was more uh, closer to the uh, to the original. Mm-hmm. How did you decide on this form? I call it uh, jazz satire. Well, I kind of grew up in it. You know, I grew uh-huh. up loving uh, Louis Jordan, for example, you know, uh-huh. Caledonia and Mo and Joe and the candy stores. Caledonia! You know, all that stuff, yeah. So I was very What much, makes your big head so hard? Yeah, I had a whole range of people uh-huh. that I liked. I loved Muddy Waters, you know, uh-huh. as a young man, going to see him in uh, performance in Chicago. And so I had a lot of... Input. I admired Cole Porter and I admired Oscar Hammerstein the second and his lyricism and uh I got involved with reading Langston Hughes and performing Langston Hughes and those kinds of things. So I had that influence in me. I just kinda went with the flow. I wanted to, as I say, be an open Negro and uh 
appreciate the culture in which I had been born and which I heard all around me. Mm -hmm. So these were various ways in which that could be done. Mm -hmm. But you had liberationists around you as well, and that is one of the reasons that in that time... Yeah, particularly, uh, again, my father, because uh -huh. in addition to the NAACP activities that he had in the 49th state activities, he was uh -huh. a businessman. He was in the real estate business, too, and uh, he was in the uh, education business. They had a school there to train young men uh -huh. after the war. So he was uh, part of the Chicago Negro Chamber of Commerce. He was always out there on the front line trying in his way to um, make things better. As I say, he was always a race man. I came into it with a different spin, the same thing but different. Mm -hmm. I came in into it admiring Paul Ropes, and I was really to the left of everything mm -hmm. uh, that he stood for, and for a long time surreptitiously to the left. I had to hide all that because I was just too radical for the police to even know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Let's go to our phones. You're on the air. I respect you, Hotep. Okay, assalamualaikum. Waalaikum salam. Okay, I wanted to say, um, like, on a Veterans Day, uh, for to start the, the 21st century or the, the new century, um, it's gentlemen like you, my beloved brother, that uh, I think, I mean, that I know that it are the real veterans that we really need to be giving celebration to because the, the fight that you have been fighting all of your life and the fight that you've been in uh, conscious of, I'm the, I've been leaning toward that same direction all of my life and when I hear you talk it's like the missing link that is needed from the past in order to give us guidance in the future and uh, those of us who are of uh, fighting age right now you know we're finally coming into the knowledge where we need to I mean where we can see that we need to fight for ourselves and when we hear older black men like yourself stand up and sound because you know for I mean, everybody know that what you're saying today is is, is profound and, and it's an actual fact and it's something that needs to be addressed and finally to see men um, address it you know it's beautiful and I just want to um, um, to to just touch base with you to let you know that the other part of you is out here a, a, along with you now so. Um, um, the support that you need, I pray that you can find it here as, a, as a, in Palm Beach, maybe make Palm Beach, since the conscious level of the people in this area is, is, is a real arose. Um, you can use this as a catalyst to work your tax problem out, uh, whatever it is, to link to the truth, to, to our past, to what, to what has happened to us as a people. And I'm hoping that I'm, you know, kind of touching with you this morning. Well, you have touched me, brother. Thank you very much for those kind words and for your support. Are you suggesting that we hold him hostage in Palm Beach County? Um, I'm suggesting <laughs> that uh, we seek refuge in each other. And, um, and, and what he's taking on is the most critical and crucial thing because he's taking on the problem of the children of the slaves. And um, that's always been my problem because no one ever wanted to address it. And to see him um, attack it, I'm ready. Well, that, uh, thank you. Let me ask you, Carl, uh, relative to your, your own uh, sense of uh, definition of whether you are a citizen or not. Well, you know, um, I can remember when we first started uh, a year ago, around the same time you and I were conversing about the same topic. 
and I was telling you approximately about the same thing because um, in real life, you know, we are the people, uh, the children of the slaves, we're really real, and we've been dealt a, a filthy life, and it's, you know, um, that's always just been in my mind ever since I've been living, and um, I don't know, Janice, it just, just to, today, in, in today's time, to see the development of our minds, and to see how when truth comes, how falsehood truly vanishes, um, you know, it gives it give everybody a different vision, it, it, it gives you a, a different way of life, a different way of thinking, you know. And when, um, I don't know, I, this morning, after listening to, to um, my big brother there with you, um, he makes it so plain, it, uh, that's the kind of preacher that we need, you know. <laughs> he is a preacher. This is his ministry. Yeah, and we, yeah, and we need, I'm talking about that's the kind of preaching that we all need because we need the truth. And, um, you know, it's something you don't hear often. Mm-hmm. And then when you hear it, 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 it likes, um, it gives you a spirit. You know, it, it really moves you because it, it really puts you in connection with the God of creation because it, it removes fear and it removes all of the ignorance and all of the ill things that are within. And it truly... Uh, kind of make you feel powerful and like your father, like God, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. um, he just touched me today. So, you know, I just wanted to um, acknowledge it, you know, because I had to run my mouth today anyway. <laughs> and, um, but um, the, the kind of talk that he's talking is the kind of talk that we've all got to talk because it's a kind of talking that self-preservation, the only way we're going to make it is we're going to have to talk his kind of talk. And, um, you know, just when I hear it, it just... It just do something to me, man. So you keep and, and have your peaceful day, and may God bless you, bless you and continue to bless you. Thank and as-salamu alaykum. alaykum. salam. Thank you, Carl, for your comments. Oscar, it does occur to me that uh, as we talk, one of the things is because we are a, a nation of people who have been so miseducated that many people will misunderstand, mistake, uh, dismiss as folly the idea that I am not a citizen, even in the light that we do not enjoy the rights and privileges. If you compare our European counterpart, uh, I had a brother on this show um, a number of months ago, and I heard him say, I have a master's degree from Harvard. I have a master's degree from Columbia. I have a Ph.D. from Columbia. I have as much experience as any man should get, and yet I do not make one-third of what my white counterpart would have in income. And that says to me that there is some double standards. Well, hey, if your mama was brought over here as a slave, you're damn right there's some double standards. No question about it. There was never anything but a double standard. I'm just trying to tell you why there's a double standard, and it's not even a matter of opinion. You know, people... But for some people, it is a matter of opinion. No, my dear, who I'm saying is this. If I'm wrong, I'd be in jail in the first place. And as much as mm-hmm. I mouth stuff off, if, I, if the government could just take me to jail and shut me up and make me look like a damn fool, I mm-hmm. would be behind bars this minute. But now, but so, so they can't do that. They don't do that. So Which why? is why you haven't, you haven't been in court. 
That's right, because they don't have a case, and it's not a question of opinion. That's what I'm saying. If the if the judges just look at the law, if the judges look at the at what the Supreme Court said in 1857, if the judges look at the what the uh, Constitution itself says, then there is no way. Congress did not even have the power to make citizens of us. Congress can only do those things that says Congress shall have the power to. And Congress did not have the power to reach in and emancipate $200 million worth of private property out of the hands of its owners. That was how they viewed us. You were private property. You didn't have any rights. You were not a person. Okay, that's cool. All right, that was how that operated. But don't, don't just trick me then and say, okay, hey, wait, 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 tell you what, you are a person now, and you're over here with us. Wait a minute, how do I even get over here with y'all? Why am I listening to this? What have you actually done? You want me to be loyal to you for what? I can be loyal for the, to the mountains and the sunset and to all the things that God gave me. I can be loyal to the neighbors, and I can be loyal to my friends and my classmates and the people that I associated with. But as for being loyal to something that was set up to enslave me, that said I had no rights, that it was bound to respect, that is going along with a certain kind of madness that I don't think is healthy for the human race. We've got to get out of that. Mm -hmm. It's that attitude that's messing up the uh, you know, Nelson Mandela's people. It's that attitude that messes up the people in Central America. It's that attitude that has all those soldiers sitting over there in Saudi Arabia right now. Because Saddam Hussein is acting like a white man. Saddam Hussein has the nerve to go in and just snatch something he wants. He's going and taking things. Well, hold it. Hold it. You know, we do that in Panama. We do that in Granada. Well, that's how we operate. That's how the British operate. But that ain't how y'all operate. And that's just outrageous. You're worse than Hitler. How can, you know, in three months he, can, he gets to be worse than Hitler was in all the years that Hitler was in power. So they just go off about that. And then expect our young people to be the ones who are going to go over there and help them enforce them. Mm -hmm. I had a discussion on Saturday that said that one of the things that is going on in the Middle East in relation to the armed troops that are being moved out of the United States is this whole idea that young black boys are being moved out of the way because there is a resurgence. A, a renewed awakening about the conditions of black people and it is the young black men that we are going to need in order to wage this internal war what's your how, how do you respond to that well i don't know the numbers you know i don't know what uh, what proportion of uh young black men they're going to take over there and keep over there you know i know there's a whole bunch of young black men here still mm -hmm. and that uh, the resurgence of violent racism would certainly be met with some considerable resistance. Uh, our forebears didn't have Uzis and AK-47s like they got in these neighborhoods <laughs> now, so that's going to be a whole different set of uh, uh, problems that confront anybody who's going to just violently oppress us. But I don't see, see, I want, I want to disarm the world. I, I have lived here under the threat of the atom bomb since I was a young person. I've seen generations of children raised to hide under their desks and stuff. We've all lived with the with the panic button right under the finger of somebody who ain't got no more sense than George Bush. And that's scary, you know. Yeah, that's, it is. You know, that, wow, and how long does this go on? So I have seen no great advantage in white people being armed to the teeth while I don't have a gun. I have never walked around with no gun. So why don't you all take off your gun, too, you know. They, mm -hmm. You know, they talk, oh, we got to attack uh 
Saddam Hussein because he's liable to get the atom bomb. And, uh, you know, nobody should have the atom bomb but us because God, you know, gave mm -hmm. us the atom bomb. And we are the mm -hmm. protectors of that. Hey, don't nobody should have the atom bomb. You know, just give up the atom bomb. Not only that, you all are passing out guns to everybody and making them all choose up sides and threatening the world. That isn't how the thing should go. Well, we don't have a Cold War anymore, you see. Yeah, well, there's Polar Striker. That has there that, is. Polar Striker hasn't come in yet, but you know they've been talking about it. But they have what they have done is solidify white people and unify them and, and taken down the sham of the Cold War in Eastern Europe. That hasn't overthrown communism in Cuba or hasn't overthrown it in China or in uh, North Korea or other places where it exists. But they have solidified, I think they think, Europe around uh, 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 an attitude that says that Saddam Hussein shall not do what the Russians did in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. yeah. Let's go to our phones. You're on the air. I respect you, Hotep, with Oscar Brown, Jr. Hotep, uh, Willie Blackwell. How you doing, Mr. Brown? Fine, Willie Blackwell. Good to see you. Uh, my question is from the point of view of, like, some of the things you say in, like, in our community here, for example, uh, it seems that you know, uh, one of the tragedies, you know, for me, you know, as a black person in America and some of the things that, you know, I encounter when I talk to others, it's like uh, this, this system, this society has left us in like a concrete mindset where even if somebody shows you that what's going on is wrong and we can do this if we do that, you know, it seems like the people don't seem to accept it. For example, you know, you can say to some people, you know, Palm Beach County is one of the richest counties in America. It's located the gateway to the Caribbean. All we have to do is 40,000 of us register and vote at the same time. And we can get 20% or 30% of the total economic pie without firing a shot. For some reason, some, it seems like we locked in a mindset where we can't do that or they ain't going to let us do that. Uh, uh, them people going to control everything forever. It, it, uh, this mindset, is there some way you know of to start to crack it? Well, only by uh, putting different images in front of that. You got to counterattack that with the truth, you know. You got to counterattack that with uh, better images of that. That's the of us. That's the only way I know. We were bred to be slaves here. Generation after generation of us was bred to be slaves. Not only that, white people were bred to be slave masters. Thomas Jefferson worried in his notes to, uh, from Virginia, you know, the only book he ever wrote, that. The example set by the older slaveholders for their children was taking all sympathy and compassion out of them and driving them toward despotism that was going to serve the country badly in future generations. He saw slavery as being, among other things, terrible manners, rudeness, crudeness, cruelty, and he saw that it was breeding this into the children. Now, the children, the white children were being bred in this cruelty which they were subjecting us to and the objective of this cruelty was to get us to submit to their will to agree in our own minds that we had no rights that they were bound to respect that even if they put down the gun it was not ours to pick it up that even if they threw down political power as they do in some instances now is what you're suggesting here in Palm Beach County even the, that we don't pick it up that we're not involved, that we are somehow afraid and benumbed and made apathetic by this generation after generation of minor white folks, which was bred into us. So this mindset is totally 
the bread and the truck. Well, I can accept that. You know, I can accept that. But I'm saying if, if I'm interested, hopefully, in seeing that I have a mindset that I need to break, because I have to think about it myself, because sometimes each day I run across something that if I hadn't been thinking the way I've been thinking all these years, I could have I could achieve some type of economic advancement by knowing that. So mm -hmm. I'm saying I know I have the same problem too. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying I'm trying to work this out of myself and the community of people because I believe it's something that we need to look at. Because you know we're losing just because we're looking the other way, and the man can put a whole show on us on the other side. We just won't look the right way. And I'm you know I keep wondering you know how do we address this? Because like you, I, you said some few minutes ago about uh, giving examples. In other words something needs to be con presented to the people on a continuous basis, that these things are possible. This is what you're saying? Yes. Yes. That's why I came out in show business like I did, because I felt that if I could create some better images, if I could say, uh, Sam's life is not the sort of life you'd wish, Sam's life is washing another dirty dish, we'd focus on this guy who I knew. And I knew what his aspiration was for his kids, and I wanted to show that side. I wanted to show him as a loving man, as a man who was making sacrifice. Or when we do something like um, uh, Brown Baby, I'm trying to sing to my children, but to all children. But Brown Baby was written for your firstborn, yeah, David. That's right. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's 40 years old mm -hmm, now. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was written as I was walking around, uh, you know, holding him, trying to lull him to sleep. But as I went into show business, these were the kinds of songs I wanted to do, and I feel the responsibility of the artists, particularly of the singers, of the writers, of the performers, the actors, the directors, is to show our young people images that will change their minds, change their opinions of themselves. We get, a, we get conned very early in life. We get, guys was on television this morning on Channel 7 who wrote a book said, all I needed to know in life I learned in kindergarten. <laughs> and this is a bestseller. <laughs> Robert something, Robert Fulcombe or something. Anyway, it's a very interesting point. And all that you learn and just need to know, share, you know, and share a life. Mm -hmm. And uh, put things uh, back you know, where you, know, you got you know, them you from. You got to bring it to get it, and, you mm -hmm. know, all those kinds of things. You mm -hmm. learn those in kindergarten, or you can't even get out around in the playground too tough because they'll kill you over there. Mm -hmm. the, the, the little mob will rise up against you. <laughs> so imagine now a person who learns in childhood, you know, in kindergarten, that um, these dark people over here are over here because... Um, they have failed to make good. Uh, they are ignorant and they're dirty and they don't uh, measure up to us. They're not as smart as we are. And that's why we have to keep them over there. And so they don't ever tell them, they don't ever tell them that, um, now we kidnapped these people over here and we dragged them over here at gunpoint and we chained them and we whipped them and we shot them and we wouldn't let them go. You know, they said, well, we don't like it over here. They had nothing to do with it. We just kept them over here and we made them work for us every day of their lives from sunup to sundown and we didn't pay them a damn thing and that's why we're rich and, and powerful and that's why they're dumb and that's why we're gonna keep them that way as long as we possibly can. You learn that in kindergarten and that, you know, that's your mindset right on through kindergarten. You go to kindergarten, you open up the book, and the Egyptians who are making the pyramids and the Sphinx and doing all these wonderful things in early civilization, they look like Norwegians or, you know, some Scandinavians or something. They, they, they weren't. But you get this 
whole mindset that all the brain power is over here. The only the white boys can play quarterback, and only the white boys can be the coach, and they just somehow are smarter than we are. And it's hard to get out of that. <laughs> We've got to take a break. Well, uh, as far as I... We've got to take a break, huh? Willie. You've got to hold on. Oh, no problem. Okay, uh, and we'll be right back with Oscar Brown, Jr. You're listening to Our Common Ground, Alternative Activist Empowerment Radio for the Palm Beaches. If you'd like to talk with him, 842-9766. In our second page, we're going to be talking with him about the state of the nation and where we ought to be headed, and we hope you'll join us. What she doing there? And oh, daddy, oh, hey, daddy, can I go over there? Hey, daddy, what's a square? And where do we get air? And daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? My quiz is a kid, man, he doesn't want anything here. He's forever demanding to know who, what, and why, and where. Inquisitive child, and sometimes the questions get wild. Like, Daddy, can I add a big elephant over there? Don't wanna comb my hair and wear my teddy bear. And oh, Daddy, oh, hey, look at the cowboy coming there. Hey, can I have a pair of boots like that to wear? And Daddy, can I have a big elephant over there? Drilling down. Just damn. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. Right now, talk media. Come on, baby, say it with me. It can only be the I Declare Show. Talk soon. Hi, my friend and colleague on Blog Talk Radio. Every Tuesday night at 9 p.m., the I Declare Show with India Declare. Are you breathing oxygen in? Are you raising the energy up? Or are you bringing the energy down? There's no middle ground. It's your real, raw, and right now talk radio. I Declare Show, Tuesdays, 9 p.m. Blog Talk Radio. I Declare It. Dealing with the difficult, real, raw, right now. The I Declare Show, baby. We hold it as an inviolable principle. That racism must be opposed by all the means that humanity has at its disposal. It will forever remain an accusation and a challenge to all men and women of conscience 
that it took as long as it has before all of us stood up to say, enough is enough. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, back to Janice. And we want to thank you for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. Our number is 347-838-9852. I can't tell you what an honor it was to spend um, probably around six hours of talking with Oscar Brown Jr. and um, and having him join my audience uh, for so long. We're going to go to our phones at three four seven. Eight three eight nine eight five two. Don't forget to join us on our social media platforms: Facebook, Twitter, Janice at OCG at at Janice OCG. We're on Pinterest. We're on Tumblr. We have our websites. Um, I'm really pleased with what's happening with our with our web presence. Uh, each time that I seem to have to Google something. The Our Common Ground uh, production or broadcast or blog or posting is included. I I was Googling Dr. Ben a couple of days ago, and there it was. It was all there. We're going to our phones. 773, you're on the air. I respect you, and I think this is Alpho. Hey, Alpho. Good evening, Janice. How are you? Great show. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, especially the, the the little clip of the interview with Oscar Brown is just—it's the same arguments, the same mm-hmm. thing that was going on back then is going on right now. And I just you know, want to add to—I just wanted to add to the conversation of it's not just the police; it's the prosecutors, it's the judges. The entire system is wrought with with Klansmen. And it's been wrought with Klansmen throughout history. And when did they when, when did the Klansmen vacate the legal system and the the legal process? They never have. They've been there all along and when you have prosecutors as in Ferguson and they put their all their chips in on Witness 40 and Witness 10, and the Justice Department goes right along with that, that Mike Brown didn't have his hands up, and you took it from the bigot, Witness 40. So we're fighting not just the police and the brutality and the murder, is that when it's captured before our eyes, we then have to deal with the corrupt prosecutor and a forgiving uh, court system that absolutely sometimes slap on the wrist never happens. 
You're, you, you know, one of the things that I'm just so pleased at as I go through my boxes and boxes of um, archives of 32 years of broadcasting, um, and I, I was just overwhelmed um, as I began to have to listen to a lot of this stuff in order to digitize it digitalize it uh onto um into mp4s is the, which is a format um that for 32 years I've been talking about the same thing and it's continuing to happen you see well, the one thing that the justice even when we have people in positions that look like us they capitulate to the pressure of doing everything against us. The mm-hmm. Eric Holder, mm-hmm. I, mean, that, that, I mean, how do you come up with a report that says that Dan Wilson was justified in his shooting, that Mike Brown never had his hands up when you have so many witnesses? You have construction workers who weren't even involved who could see what was going on. But what was so interesting about the Department of Justice report, and we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when when uh, we were talking about it with Dr. James um, Taylor, is that all of the witnesses which supported the notion that Michael Brown's hands were up and he was facing Darren Wilson, those were the witnesses who were dismissed as not being reliable or backtracking on their story. That's a very interesting point. Well, that's what I mean when I say prosecutorial misconduct. Uh, It's like they have this three-tier system And judicial uh, judicial, uh, misconduct. uh, The judge in Pennsylvania was selling black boys to private prisons, exactly. just convicting them so that the private prison would have uh, people to fill their beds. He's He he was convicted, and last week he was sentenced to 28 years. Well, I mean, it, and if there's one or two judges, I believe it was two judges involved in that, and if it was uh-huh. two judges, it's got to be 30, 40 judges. Who, uh-huh. And who what about the judge in Texas who was allowed to resign? She doesn't lose her her law license, and she's not being disbarred um, because she was texting, texting yeah, to she was, prosecutors she in cases in her court, of how, of, giving them of how tips of how to, how to win. I mean, and and this is and the and the sad note on this entire situation is that it's right before our very eyes, and you still have people—not just the media, but the people who go before the cameras and who have an opportunity to open their mouths and say something. You know, witness forty in Ferguson was totally debunked by the feds, but yet they stood back and watched that prosecutor support perjury. And, it, and to me, it, it's, it, it's just yeah, to so a you, point where you just throw your hands up. Well, I don't know if you throw your hands up. 
I'm I'm of the mindset and if people want to either support or debate the point, I'm of the mindset that we have to take control where we're going to take control. There is no such thing as citizens taking control of the system. You know, we talk about the system doesn't work for us. We talk about they. We need to start bringing, breaking down the who the they's are. We not exactly. need to start breaking down what parts of the system enable disjustice. You know, and, and, and as I listen to Oscar Brown, um, it takes a, a lot to um, digitalize. I, I must have 400 uh, cassette cassettes. And I was being encouraged on yesterday to just take them to a service and have the service do them. But I did want to do some editing and edit out all the commercials and blah, blah, blah. But as we, 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 I listened to Oscar Brown Jr. with his approach step by step as opposed to trying to take over the whole system. When he was fighting the IRS, because his position was, I'm not paying taxes, I'm not filing taxes because I'm not a citizen. He was doing it step by step. The first step was, show me where I'm obligated because I'm a citizen. Show me where I am a citizen, as opposed to you people have no, I have no obligations to to you people. So he took it step by step, and, and believe me, he paid a big price because the IRS went in and took millions of dollars of his royalties. They just said, okay, we'll just, you know, we'll just fill out the forms for you and we'll go to your publishing houses and your distributors and get the money they would pay you. They'll give it to us. They, he gar- they garnished him. So, um, <clears throat> and for those of you who are listening and if you enjoyed the uh, Oscar Brown Jr. interview, there is a documentary um, on Oscar Brown Jr. that his son uh, produced and directed. Uh, and it was shown all over the country about five or six years ago. But let's go back to the whole idea of where do you start? How do you define the problem? In my discussion with Aronde uh, Alpha, one of the things that we talked about was the pieces of the problem, being able to frame them, narrate, and articulate them from our particular position as as victims. And I don't think we've done that well. Well, with all I don't of think this, we've done it well at all. You're right. <laughs> Excuse me. With all of this Black Lives Matter, we have to begin to ask ourselves, 
do black lives matter and to whom black lives matter and where do black lives not matter? And until we do a thorough job of that, and we can't depend on the Department of Justice, the same system. I mean, the Department of Justice is the bulwark, the foundation of what happens in prosecutions, in police departments, in FBI, in Homeland Security, in in, 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 in the courts that we cannot attack the problem by expecting that the Department of Justice is going to do the job that needs to be done. One of the things that we haven't done, and and I want to get your comment about this, Alpho, is that we haven't organized our own lawyers. We have civil rights lawyers in this country. We have independent attorneys in this country and we haven't organized them in a way that they can begin to do the investigation. One of the things that lawyers are trained to do very well is to investigate and to document whatever they do else else things. That is one of the things if you go to law school, you begin you you are trained to do, and you are trained to do it well. But we haven't organized any lawyers. You know, I look at Tom Porter, uh, the broadcasting icon in Washington, D.C. He is a trained lawyer, and his area of expertise in his law practice, so how come we're not taking the Tom Porters of the world, organizing them, because Tom Porter says, that he is has a black consciousness and understands the problem of black media, why aren't we organizing them? I have another friend uh whose name I can't recall. He used to work as a as a as a um staffer in the office of the Florida senator, US senator who became governor and I can't think of his name is Teddy. That's all I can think. Teddy's daughter. Um, maybe 15, 20 years ago, was a law student in UCLA at UCLA who was studying entertainment law. So, I mean, we've got the resources. It's a matter of asking the right question and then beginning to look, examine the resources that we have. There is no reason why there aren't at least 10 law firms in this country that specialize in civil rights around the issue of Title VII, Title VI, um, Section 504, Section Three, and housing discrimination. There's no reason that that, that a law firm that is a nonprofit, we have large organizations, legal staff organizations in the NAACP and the Lawyers Committee in the Urban League, um, but those are organizations that depend on outside 
funding and have to have money. the color with it inside the lines. Money is always the issue. That's what the bottom line is, and our side has not. Dennis, I'm going to let you wrap it up. Great show. Okay. Thank you, Alpha, and you had a great show last night. And for those of you who Thank are you. listening, it's the Alpha Show on TruthWorks Network on Friday nights at 10 p.m. where he drills down. Uh, we want you to know that we continue uh, to need your support. Um, we have got to do better about how we support um, independent talk radio because our voices are getting we 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 if you want to know how our voices get lost our voices get lost because we don't support the place where our voice is respected thank you for being with us don't forget uh that next saturday night at 10 p.m. dr tommy curry will be joining us and we'll be talking about a number of issues that's in the news uh, and Julie Dash, the director, author of Daughters of the Dust, she's going to be coming and joining us to talk about her new book, Travels, Travel Notes of a Geechee Girl. Stay safe out there. Have a good week. I'm Janice Graham next Saturday night. I will be listening for you. And we hope that you will come with some upliftment for our people. This morning thinking about the old me When I was feeling like Miller Lite and O.E. But now I ride on some consciousness I'm getting bread while I go to my accomplishments Only one like I have a problem with is myself That's probably why my only competition is myself From today to tomorrow the dock is just rocking the same drum The past so I ain't forgot where I came from uh, I got the club right. Who are you? When you don't know when you should have done, but you didn't. When you should have, but you don't. When you can't find, won't ask, can't say what you want. Who are you? When you recognize that you have accepted, tolerated, and accommodated stuff from them or him or her that has diminished yourself. Just who are you? Thank you so much for being with us here at Our Common Ground. Each Saturday, 10 p.m., I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. A special thanks to our chatters in our chat room. Join us on Facebook, Tumblr, Pinterest, and our website at OurCommonGround.com. Twitter, follow at JaniceOCG. Have a great weekend. See you next week. Transforming Truth to Power. One broadcast at a time. So I'm asking you for the truth. I know the truth. 